Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and envision the opportunities these trends create. We help them elevate the quality of their leadership and transform their organizations to build sustainable success and impact. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. And I am also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to bring to you recorded live at the International Leadership Association Conference 2019 in Ottawa, Canada, whose theme is Courage to Lead, a series of interviews. Next, you'll hear Cynthia Cherry, the president of ILA, to introduce the conference, and then I'll be back to introduce our guests. International instability is only getting worse in today's world, and it cries out for a need for leadership. Hi there, this is Cynthia Cherry, President and CEO of the International Leadership Association, and the ILA has its mission to advance leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. At this year's global conference in Ottawa, our theme was Leadership, Courage Required. And it was a gathering of 1,200 professionals from around the world to discuss, share, and explore the latest research, teachings, and best practices in leadership. In this series, ILA fellow Maureen Metcalf is the host of the 2019 series. And you will hear from corporate leaders, political leaders, and the leading scholars and teachers grappling with the complex issues of today. I hope you will join me in exploring these complex issues in the 2019 series. I am delighted today that our guest is Nancy J. Adler. Nancy is the Brofman Chair in Management at McGill University. She conducts research and consults worldwide on global leadership, cross-cultural management, and arts-inspired leadership practices. She's authored more than 150 articles, produced three films, and published 10 books and edited volumes. She's received numerous awards worldwide for her professional and scholarly work, including the ILA, or International Leadership Association, Lifetime Achievement Award just yesterday. So congratulations to Nancy, and it's been a delight to get to hear about part of your career. She is also a visual artist and has been an artist-in-residence at the Banff Center in Canada. Her paintings, monotype prints, and ceramics are held in private collections worldwide. And she's very excited that she is one of nine people globally accepted into an intensive ceramics program in Italy for January 2020. 
So today, we're going to talk about how Nancy has worked with managers from around the world to create synergy among cultures rather than building walls to keep out differences or hide behind the fears of inefficiency and prejudice. Nancy's pioneered the field for cross-cultural management, women leading worldwide, and the role of arts in inspiring the best of what individuals and organizations have to offer in their organizations, their communities, and their world. As an artist, she works to make the world more beautiful. Even now, so many people focus on the ugliness and dysfunction. Today, she joins me to discuss her Leading Beautifully Award, created in the honor of the best of us. And Nancy and I have had the most amazing conversation, so we will see what happens in this interview. Let's start with who gets to lead today? Well, a lot of people think that leadership has to do with a title, that I'm the president, I'm the mm-hmm. CEO, I'm mm-hmm. the managing director, and those are the people, I'm the president, mm-hmm. those are the people who get to lead. Mm-hmm. But in fact, leadership is a verb, it's leading, mm-hmm. and it means that all of us, every day, are called to lead. Mm-hmm. The only place, though, that we can lead is from where we stand. So I can lead as a professor, as Mm -hmm. a speaker, as a writer, as an artist, but I can't lead as a president or a a head of an organization because that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And I first realized that I I teach leadership. Mm -hmm. I hold seminars with managers and executives all over the world on leadership. And I was watching the evening news, and I often flip from channel to channel to channel to get different Mm -hmm. perspectives, Mm -hmm. and I happened to have turned on MSNBC, Mm -hmm. and Rachel Maddow was explaining what was going on in the U.S., some of the dynamics of what was going on in the U.S., and she was interviewing a group of people in Virginia mm-hmm. who were having trouble getting in to see their congressman. Okay. And they called, and they knocked on the door, and he wouldn't see them. And they had very concrete things that they wanted to tell him and that mm-hmm. they wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. So as she tells the story, they went off to a pizza parlor, the best pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., they had them bake a delicious pizza with lots mm-hmm. of aroma. They put their statement inside the pizza box. They had the pizza delivered through the congressman's office. Oh, by the way, they also had the press there, of course, while they were mm-hmm. watching. And as soon as that great aroma wafted in, the congressman opened the door and the message was delivered. That's a brilliant approach. I thought it was completely creative. I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I also realized it was brilliant on the pe- mm-hmm. part of the people right, in right. Virginia, mm-hmm. but I also realized in that moment that Rachel Maddow was being a leader and teaching leadership from where she sat. And where mm-hmm. she sits is as an anchor on a news program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she was talking to all of us about, okay, you're blocked, get creative, come Mm -hmm. up with an innovative thing. If you purpose, if you really believe in what you're trying to get done, the fact Mm -hmm. that a congressman won't answer the phone or open Mm -hmm. the door Mm -hmm. isn't going to stop you. Mm -hmm. It's just going to get you creative. They acted from where they stood. 
and she was acting, she was probably acting as a more powerful leadership professor than many of us in my field. And many people heard and hopefully took action based on that. Right. Not that pizza parlors had a big uptick, <laughs> but that people realized that they could get what they wanted done. They just had to do it using a very different process mm -hmm. and vocabulary mm -hmm. than they'd ever considered before. Well, and one of the things I talk about is influence and choice. We have choices, and a lot of things are hard to accomplish, but the creativity, and as an artist, you're using creativity in different mediums. And so you talked about the Leading Beautifully Award. So in your Lifetime Achievement Acknowledgement, you gave the International Leadership Association an award. So would you describe that? Because I think that exemplifies much of what you're trying to say here. Well, that award, the Leading Beautifully Award, which a number of organizations have asked me to create for mm -hmm. them to honor the whole organization or a team mm -hmm. or an individual within their organization, is based on the idea that we need to be inspired to reach the kind of society we really want. Mm -hmm. So if you're awarding something to any organization, mm -hmm. it can't be like the typical award where you look at what you've done in the past mm -hmm. and in the present you say, hey, thanks for having done that. Mm -hmm. It has to be based on what you've done before, mm -hmm. but then it has to say, based on the best of who you've been, what's the absolute best that you can do in the future and that we need you to do in the future. Mm -hmm. If I just say that, people sort of roll their eyes and say, yes, that would be mm -hmm. nice if we did that. Mm -hmm. So then I realized that the way I could say that mm -hmm. was by using art, in this case a ceramic mm -hmm. bowl, mm -hmm. as a mirror for them to be able to see themselves. Mm -hmm. So I created a bowl. Mm -hmm. I wish this wasn't just a podcast so I could let everybody see the bowl. And I asked people first to start by looking at the glazes that were all swirling around and running mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. and to notice that as soon as one glaze touches another glaze, it's transformed. But it's transformed into something beautiful that could not happen if there was just one glaze. And that's the metaphor for how we interact, even the interactions that we find unpleasant. Exactly, exactly. So part of those contrasts is what brings out definition and allows mm -hmm. us to understand what our unique contribution is that's completely different. But it also explicitly honors diversity. Okay, we can't have that whole beautiful surface without having all those different colors, mm -hmm. all those different contrasts, all those different perspectives coming in. Bumping into each other. All the, the, the glazes right. actually bumped into each other and moved Right. Apart. Some of them moved apart, some of them mixed together, some of them ro one rolled over the other. And you don't, in this case, the pot was fired at 2300 degrees. You don't know ahead of time. You can mm -hmm. do the best of mm -hmm. your choices, mm -hmm. yeah. but you have to trust that what's going to happen. And similarly, when I think about ILA, but also a lot of other organizations mm -hmm. today, they talk about being inclusive. 
and they talk about being innovative. So when I was creating the bowl for ILA, mm -hmm. the award bowl, mm -hmm. I knew that one, its base had to be very strong. So mm -hmm. whatever hit it, mm -hmm. whatever, it would still stay solid and sitting mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But it also had to be flared wide open so that it would be inviting to whether clients or partners or government agencies you're working mm -hmm. with or mm -hmm. new ideas, it had mm -hmm. to be open. In order for a bowl, a ceramic bowl, to be open, you're sitting on the wheel and you're throwing the bowl, and then, as you might guess, you're little by little bending the top of it out so it gets. As you do that, you risk it collapsing. It just uh, we talk about inclusion, and too much, we risk collapsing our culture. Exactly, or if we don't take the time to support mm -hmm. who we're welcoming in, mm -hmm. so we are afraid of them rather mm -hmm. than seeing how they could uniquely contribute. If the ball collapses on the wheel, mm -hmm. the same the question has to be asked that we ask ourselves as leaders, mm -hmm. which is to remember that we know from the research, extraordinary leaders and extraordinary artists risk more and more often, mm -hmm. they fail more often mm -hmm. than do ordinary people and ordinary leaders. But that's the only way you get beyond yourself. So if this bowl collapses, then what do mm -hmm. I need to do as an artist? I need to return to the wheel mm -hmm. and I need to throw another better bowl. The bowl I created for ILA was not my first bowl. Mm, okay. How many? I think I won't remember that. <laughs> so it was more than two. But it's interesting because one of the one of the leaders who was president of ILA um, asked me if this wasn't just like a typical innovation process where iteratively you, mm. you add a little, add a little, add a little, add a little. And I had to say that no, it isn't. This is actually, this is discontinuous change. Okay. This is, you tried it, you pushed it out as absolutely wide open as you could, and it didn't add a little, it failed. It collapsed. It, yeah. it, was, it was a pile of gooey, Clay sitting mm -hmm. there. It mm -hmm. was a lump. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a bowl. Mm -hmm. Okay, which is how some of us feel when we fail. Right. And when a team has tried really hard, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. either don't get the client, or you don't, you try the mm -hmm. base, you try, you know, the new software, and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But then the question is, okay, I remember that part of great leadership not mm -hmm. iterative, ordinary leadership. Part of great leadership is to risk, mm -hmm. risk more often, know that you're going to fail more often, and go back to the wheel. There's one other piece to it, though, is if you look at great leaders, they don't repeat the same mistake twice. They learn from their first mistake, and they may make another mistake and it may fail again, but they've made a different mistake. It's a constant learning curve. Well, the other is often they don't blow up the enterprise. I'm learning and growing and making lots of mistakes all the time. And with each one, hopefully I'm course correcting. And some of them 
while they may feel big to me, they're not enough to blow up the business. Right. I think that's an important distinction as people hear, I fail, it doesn't mean my business collapses. And the analogy is, I didn't blow up the pottery studio. Right. You blew up the bowl. I had one bowl. You know, mm -hmm. so big deal. Get back on the wheel, mm -hmm. throw another bowl. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I had been conservative, not in the political mm -hmm. sense, but in mm -hmm. the literal sense. In the bowl making in sense. In the bowl making <laughs> sense, okay? In the same way, in the team building sense, mm -hmm. I would have thrown a bowl that didn't flare out, so didn't mm -hmm. risk. But that isn't what I'm trying to do. That is the organization that's trying to heal kids who have a disease that currently mm -hmm. we don't know how to deal with mm -hmm. isn't going to say, well, I'm going to go back and deal with the flu. No. These kids to... deserve better. Which gets to the point you made earlier. Each of us has a role. There are no extra people. There are no unnecessary people. And one other piece with that. What supports us in taking those big risks? What supports us when we fail and are hugely disappointed and often a little embarrassed by the fact mm -hmm. that it didn't work to get back in there and return to the team or return to the wheel? And the answer to that question is always purpose. Mm -hmm. That what we're trying to do, have those kids be healthy, not living in the mm -hmm. hospital, have the community have clean water, have the company succeed mm -hmm. so that it can share its product or service mm -hmm. with the broader world. Mm -hmm. Whatever is the purpose, mm -hmm. unless there's a purpose that's profoundly important to you as a human being, I guarantee you, you will not continue to take the big risk. Mm -hmm. You will not learn what you need to learn. You will not take the next big risk. Mm -hmm. and oh my goodness, have the potential of failing twice or three times mm -hmm. in a row. And, and have the capacity to fail twice or three times in a row. Because it's the purpose that gives us the capacity. Right, right. And, and you're smart about it. You don't, as you were saying, you don't risk the whole organization. That's part mm -hmm. of learning how mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. a manager. But, you, but because you care so much about outcome, we need peace in this region. Mm -hmm. We need products that we, we need we need containers that carry water that don't mm -hmm. pollute the oceans and the planet. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. need okay, fill in, you know, we need fabrics made out of bamboo that's a rapidly growing or you know, I don't care what it is and it's different things that are important mm -hmm. to different people. But if you don't have anything that, that sense that you're contributing something that's really of value, you're not going to take the risk and you're mm -hmm. not going to lead and you're going to disappear into old structures. But it's even worse than that because we all know that with the rate of change and especially mm -hmm. discontinuous change, even if I try and be literally safe. conservative yeah. and safe and I do what worked yesterday and the week before and the mm -hmm. year before, it's not going to work anymore. I think that is such a critical point that doing what got me here, that old phrase, doing what got you here won't get you there. Yeah, Marshall Goldsmiths. Because of the rate of change, I become obsolete. It, our, our tagline is about innovating how I lead because 
if I'm not, as a leader, I will do damage to my organization because I have not grown. Exactly. And if you look at the world right now, mm -hmm. it used to be, especially for people in the privileged economies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. U.S. developed economy, huge mm -hmm. economy, Canada developed economy, not as big as the U.S., European Union, etc. Mm -hmm. Okay? We could kind of look around and say, as long as I'm the best organization mm -hmm. here in mm -hmm. my country, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. Well, today, the only question you can ask is, are we the best in the world and are we on a path to stay the best in the world? I think, am I on a path to stay is really an important question. And don't underestimate the rate of change. It's accelerating in a way I think none of us understand yet. Well, and the desire of people all over the world to contribute, and mm -hmm. increasingly their access to ways to get educated mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. contribute. So if you think just of the innovation of the online courses with Coursera mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the various other companies, I mean, now people, no matter how rural an area you're mm -hmm. in, you now have access, think about management, mm -hmm. to the top Stanford professors, the top Wharton professors, whom Wharton put its entire first year program online. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, if everybody knows that, then I really have to, one, I, that's my baseline, I better mm -hmm. know all that. Mm -hmm. But I really have to ask, what's the u unique contribution that I can make? that nobody else in this world can mm -hmm. make mm -hmm. while being excellent. So this podcast, as an example, is available globally. It's free. And we have listeners from countries that I hadn't previously heard of. Now, I'm not a geography whiz, but I know most of the countries. So we're offering what I believe is exceptional information with people like you who are winning Lifetime Achievement Awards from a well-known international leadership association to people for free. There are opportunities to learn and grow and expand as long as I have a computer or an iPhone or a, a, some device that will allow me to s stream information. So to your point, back to there are no extra people. Each of us has a purpose and a way to contribute to the world and in an environment where we're changing so quickly, we're all required as the pieces of the puzzle to move our societies forward in a way that's positive. So what it means to lead today for any of us, if we bring together the question of why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. How can I do it with excellence? Mm -hmm. And how can I do it world-class, no matter where I'm sitting. And that means not just people with PhDs. That means people with no education can still be world-class in their contribution to the world. Even more so today, because mm -hmm. education, the best, best people in education are rethinking what education means, mm -hmm. because the vast amount of one, knowledge is, the production of knowledge is, has gone off the ceiling, but two, almost all concrete knowledge for a professional degree 
mm-hmm. will be obsolete by the time you graduate. So memorizing it, which was mm-hmm. a lot of education and working, getting mm-hmm. the big, it is a passe concept. The question is, can we listen to what's going on in mm-hmm. the world? Can we see what's going on in the world? Not the, the prior leadership question, what do I do, what do I say to mm-hmm. the people in my organization? As things get more complex, as they change faster, mm-hmm. as more of those changes are discontinuous, then the question is the anthropologist's question and the artist's question of can I see what's actually going on? Mm-hmm. And then once I can see that which I never imagined before, I can begin to come up with a strategy. And so one of the things I found that's really helpful with art is I oftentimes will ask people, uh, some of the times I do this with my paintings, sometimes with other people's paintings, is I ask people to choose a painting and then to just look at it for three minutes. I take out my iPhone and I time them and I warn them, for those who don't meditate, it's going to feel like time. a long time. And sure enough, I start seeing people, you know, looking off to them, and I'm sad. Okay? And I asked them what it was like to still mm-hmm. their life, like a pa- mm-hmm. painting a still life, mm-hmm. to still their life back down. And then what it was like to give that quality of attention to the painting, how the painting changed, what they saw that was mm-hmm. different. And of course, they saw all sorts of things more mm-hmm. in the end of the first minute, the end of the second minute, the third minute. I then asked them what in their life deserves the quality of attention they just, just gave to this. And in three minutes is huge because we don't, I mean, the average person goes to the Louvre to look at the Mona Lisa and spends 30 seconds. Are you serious? After having waited in line to get mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Okay? We don't, we've lost the ability to see, and if we don't see, we can't act on the world because we're assuming it was the way it was yesterday or last year mm-hmm. or last mm-hmm. month, and it's no longer that way. Mm-hmm. I asked them what in their work, in their organization, mm-hmm deserves the quality of attention they just gave to that painting. And I ask them, and I ask myself, Mm -hmm. what in the world deserves the quality of that attention? You asked me, is it only PhDs who can lead, or only people who have advanced degrees and MBAs? Perhaps that used to be more helpful than it Mm -hmm. is today because things are changing so fast that if I'm an expert in something that's mostly become obsolete, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be any better than you if I have a PhD in it. Where I will outperform you is if I can ask questions better, Mm -hmm. if I can outlearn you, if I can see. If I can see. And if I can listen. You know, so we, we work with music, we work with art, we, to re-give people the ability to see, mm-hmm. the ability to hear, and then the ability to ask questions. Let me give you an example. So why don't we go on break first, and I invite our listeners to think about spending three minutes 
looking at a piece of art and asking yourself the same questions that Nancy's just asked you and what can you be best at in the world in which you inhabit in your current context and we will be right back. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We're on Alexa Smart Speakers and Connected Devices. Hey Alexa, play Being Here Podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Try it now. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back here with Maureen Metcalf and Nancy Adler. Before the break, you were talking about giving an example. So can you give an example of how using art helps make a difference in how we pay attention? There are lots of examples, but I think one of the most profound ones was an experiment first conducted at Yale Medical School. And they had very well-conducted research. They had their first-year medical students take half of them, take an art history course. So not Mm -hmm. a studio course. They weren't painting, they weren't drawing. Just art history. Mm -hmm. Look at paintings, Mm -hmm. come to understand paintings. And all the rest of the training was exactly the Mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. When the students, the young medical students, started to go on rounds, Mm -hmm. and the physician leading the rounds would explain what was going on with mm-hmm. a particular mm-hmm. patient, mm-hmm. and then they would come back the next week, and the patient wasn't doing very well. And they would ask the students what did they think was going on. And from the non-arts-trained students, you disproportionately got the response that, well, maybe the patient wasn't following the treatment regime mm-hmm. correctly, mm-hmm. or maybe they needed a higher dose of the medications that mm-hmm. had been prescribed. Mm-hmm. But basically, that 
you needed to do more of what you had already started mm -hmm. and make sure that it was happening. When they did exactly the same, and they were using the same patients and the same mm -hmm. conditions, they brought in the students who had taken the art history class. Mm -hmm. Way disproportionately, they said, well, wait a second. Is our diagnosis right? Are we treating the right disease? Why did you think that? And what would you think it would be, would be the mm -hmm, doctor's mm -hmm. question. And they begin to ask questions about, you know, what their skin color was like and what the, you know, all different aspects of the person. After they watched that pattern repeat itself and repeat itself, and in almost all cases, the arts-trained students were better diagnosticians than were the non-arts. And I don't say arts-trained is. Uh, little, Not trained artists, but... They, they one semester, one semester in an art history class. As he began to look, those art history taking students noticed way more about what was going on. They saw more of what was going on with the patient. They saw things that the others hadn't seen, and they were much less likely to jump to the conclusion that their first diagnosis, their first guess, had been right. Now, why might that be true? Think of a painting. Think of the last time you looked at a painting. Okay, Paintings can be interpreted in all different ways. You can look at the texture, you can look at the colors, you can look if there's a narrative, if there's a story underneath mm -hmm. it, you can look if it's a part of a particular tradition, you can look at, and there is generally no right answer. There are multiple interpretations. So what the students had done implicitly, because at the beginning of this, nobody knew what was going mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. is they took that into their practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. And they saw, they observed way more. They didn't just look at the portrait in the middle of the painting. They looked at the background. They looked at the frame. They looked at everything that was mm -hmm. going on. They were so surprised because to get that kind of difference in social science research in is, one course. is very unusual. So they replicated and they replicated. There are now over 20 schools, top medical schools, in the U.S. and outside the U.S., that are using some form of that process. And what they're mm. doing is they're both giving people the ability to see and take in much more data before they condense it into what's the pattern here. And so that they can, in fact, question themselves about what their first diagnosis or their first guess mm -hmm. was. Diagnostics are important for every profession. If we're managers, what's going on with this company? What's going on with this what's market? Working, what's what's going on with this investment? What what data are we looking at? If we're just looking domestically, we might miss internationally. If we're just looking inside of our own industry, we may look totally miss a threat or an opportunity that's coming in from a totally different industry. If we're just looking within our best technology, we're not able to see what could come from someplace else. And so part of my reaction to hearing that research was to say, let's make this easier for managers. Um, and so I created my two sides, my leadership side and my artist side, I created a leadership insight journal 
that has 27 paintings in it. It's got lots of blank pages in it. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And it invites very busy managers and executives Mm -hmm. to take a step back and ask, what's going on here? What's important? Mm -hmm. What am I seeing? It invites them to take a step back from being in the middle of the fray Mm -hmm. to see with different eyes. And the art helps that them to do that, mm-hmm. the blank pages, their quotes from other managers and um, mm-hmm. people from around the world that support them in holding that conversation. And I was, um, I was delighted when Taylor and Francis saw the publishing company and said, we're publishing this, so now it's available to people all over the world, not just the people initially who knew me. You know, it, it's so aligned with our beliefs. So uh, in the ILA Leader 2050 book, uh, I was part of a team of people who wrote uh, about the future of leadership and then developed seven competencies. And one of the seven competencies is intellectually versatile. I can't just work in my very narrow field. I must introduce from other fields to expand my thinking because I consistently pull from other arenas to solve a problem. It rarely comes only from my very specific arena. Right. And you need the expertise in that very specific arena that you're bringing because that helps hold together Mm -hmm. and make possible a synergy that wouldn't be possible if we all kind of tried to be the same. Mm -hmm. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing if if I tried to glaze a pot by taking four different glazes and mixing them together in a bowl and pouring it on top of the pot, it would come out some, well, if I was, <laughs> it would come out bad. Let's just face it. It would come out bad. It wouldn't come mm-hmm. out interesting. It wouldn't come out. Okay, so mm-hmm. we, we need each of our unique selves. Mm-hmm. And part of the Leading Beautifully Award is to inspire people to bring their best to combine with the best of Mm -hmm. everybody else to create that which we have never created before, but we now know is possible. And I think that's a profound statement. We are solving problems that are emerging as we go along. We must be creating things that haven't existed before. We must be innovating, we must be disrupting to solve the problems that are ever more complex. So it's not just that you won a Lifetime Achievement Award, while that is an amazing acknowledgement of your life's work, you're looking at what's next. Absolutely, and I think in the same way that a lot of um, really profound thinkers today who work with organizations, realize that we need to be responsible for our context, whereas in the past we just could say, well, the legal, especially in North America, Mm -hmm. the legal system works, the political system works, transportation, I mean, they're bad little corners, but overall Mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. And we use that, we rely on that, Mm you know, to maintain contracts, to we, we assume that the banking system is going to work so we can mm-hmm. trust each other in terms of payment flows and the rest of that. Okay, today, because we have such huge changes 
going on, an earthquake of changes. Mm -hmm. We have to think about what is it that we're doing to support that we'll still have a justice system, that we'll still have a financial system that we Mm -hmm. can trust, Mm -hmm. that we'll still have democracies that represent the voice of everybody. That didn't, you we used to think about that as being the public sector and the mm-hmm. private sector was responsible mm-hmm. for making things and services and sharing mm-hmm. them in a way mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. okay, but that's no longer true. And we've talked, the conversation is a little bit more advanced, not enough, around sustainability. Mm-hmm. But if we think about not just green physical sustainability, but social sustainability. And for me, that's a big issue. As we look at robotic process automation and artificial intelligence, the World Economic Forum said half of jobs will change in the next four years. So that's not somewhere out there when we have jets and flying cars. It's in our five-year planning horizon. Half of jobs will change. And those. And I realize that this is a mushing together of a lot of data. Yeah. Um, a third of the work will change in those jobs. And the people who are economically advantaged already, who, who are highly skilled, they'll get retraining in companies because they're the most valuable workers and their work will shift. The workers who are, are on the fringes, especially who are doing more routine tasks, will be replaced with machines in, in large part and at least what the data said is they're the ones who are not getting invested in. So socially, we're not, if things don't change, we're going to have a, a significant social issue, more than we have now, of people who don't have skills and are going to have an increasingly difficult time finding work and don't have the means to get the skills. Um, I wish I could disagree with you. I can't. I wish you could too. We know that historically you need a vibrant middle class Mm -hmm. to have a democracy. Mm -hmm. You can't have extreme income distribution without a middle class and have democracy, have a stable, Mm -hmm. and you can have a blip for a while. And second, which I want to come back to, is in the past when there were changes, the question was retraining. As mm-hmm. you say, and the privileged had much more access to that. Privilege mm-hmm. could be because I was born in an economically... I, mean, mm-hmm. I was born in California. I was born in a very privileged part of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went through a fabulous, at that time, public school system mm-hmm. that was competitive with anybody. I graduated mm-hmm. from the University of California system, mm-hmm. Berkeley and UCLA. Nobody had to be embarrassed to graduate from one of those universities. Mm -hmm. They could be happy that they weren't broke when they graduated, (laughs) but they didn't have to be. Today, or I'll be nice, four years from today, Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as retraining because everything's continuing to change and Mm -hmm. change. So the only question is, can we get, or maybe that's the retraining, can we get smarter about learning? How we learn and what we learn and the pace at which we learn. And I think it's more the how we learn. Okay. Can, if I can outlearn you, I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. You mentioned okay. that before. It's the, 
you know, I don't have to outrun the bear, I have to outrun you. Right. If right. I'm trying to get a job, I have to outlearn you now. And I have to continue to outlearn you. It's not a one-time Or I have to recognize that you might be my best collaborator. Mm -hmm. I'm, I need to recognize that instead of being scared of profound difference, mm -hmm. profound difference is probably where I have the most to learn. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we work with with groups of executives, groups mm -hmm. of managers, groups of MBAs, is the people you're going to learn the most from in this organization, in this seminar, in this mm -hmm. community, are the people who are most different from you. And yet psychologically, of course, we're most attracted to the people who think like us. So, Well, and physiologically, it's safer to be around people who think like us. Right? They, we learned in tribal times, you look different than I do, you may be dangerous. Right? I'm in a tribe, you're in a tribe, we're, we're migrating around on the, on the plains of the U.S. or wherever. And that difference could have been dangerous. I don't know that our brains have changed enough so that we don't see difference yet as danger. I'm more optimistic on that because we look at many areas where we have changed and we're currently sitting in Canada mm -hmm. where the national belief embedded mm -hmm. in our mm -hmm. conversations mm -hmm. is domestic multiculturalism. It's not melting pot. It's not we all have to be the same in order to mm -hmm. not be mm -hmm. scary or to mm -hmm. be neighbors mm -hmm. with each other. Or it's that we have multiple different people. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, my good friend and colleague, who I think mm -hmm. you um, had an opportunity to interview, Henry Mintzberg. Mm -hmm. Okay, when we had a number of years ago when Quebec, the province that mm -hmm. um, Montreal, where both Henry and I live, um, is in, and Quebec, which is a French-speaking province, was having a referendum on if they were going to leave the rest of Canada okay. or not. So that would have mm -hmm. split up Canada. And Henry, as well as myself, was very much for Canada staying together. Mm -hmm. And Henry got on... CBC Radio, CBC TV, mm -hmm. and while everybody else was saying, oh, the English and the French can't get along with each other, and they mm -hmm. don't like each other, and they... Mm -hmm. and, and there are very different cultural patterns, mm -hmm. not just linguistic, between Anglophones and Francophones. But what Henry said is, I ask you, my fellow Quebecois, to go and to turn off your radio, turn off your TV, mm -hmm. i.e. stop listening to other people mm -hmm. and come back to yourself, mm -hmm. open your window and look outside and ask yourself, do your children play with your neighbor's children? Do your English mm -hmm. children play with French? Do your French mm -hmm. play with, mm -hmm. and with the rest mm -hmm. of, we've got Italian and Greek and mm -hmm. all yeah. sorts of wonderful mm -hmm. communities here. Do you work with each other? Do you live with each other? Do you go mm -hmm. out to mm -hmm. dinner with each other? And of course, at a one-on-one -on -one level, of course it, it was resoundingly, mm -hmm. yes. And my point isn't we can't. My point is it takes us being more conscious and making a choice 
for what we want to create against what may have been pre-wired. And I think it requires that as, and this is a part of leadership, mm -hmm. at the individual level, mm -hmm. we profoundly come back to our own ability to see the world. We look out at the mm -hmm. playground, mm -hmm. whether or not you have kids or not, and we see all of these kids from different mm -hmm. backgrounds mm -hmm. playing with each other. Mm -hmm. So the minute I let myself see that, mm -hmm. then I'm like, well, what's this myth about we can't get mm -hmm. along mm -hmm. with each other? So you told a story earlier, and we need to do an abbreviated version of it, about traveling to Israel, and that we do get along with people when we have a shared purpose. We can, not that it is natural or easy, that we can transcend the differences. In situations such as the Middle East, where the differences have been embedded mm -hmm. in political systems and decisions, and at times mm -hmm. that, that becomes very difficult for most of the population. Mm -hmm. Although it's quite interesting in um, the Middle East and in Israel, the parents, and especially the mothers who have lost a child, Mm -hmm. are some of the very leaders in bridging across cultures to mm -hmm. make mm -hmm. things work. My own experience, which was profound, which comes from years, years, years ago, I had, um, I was in Israel for the, for the first time. I had an internship with Leah Parat, who was then the Minister of Culture, and it happened to be 1973 which was the Yom Kippur War. And the very first Saturday after the Yom Kippur War broke out, Saturday being Shabbat, the Sabbath, Leah invited me to come with her to Old Jerusalem to Shabbat lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I arrived, there were 12 people around the table, all very, mm -hmm. and half of them were Israeli Jews and half of them were Israeli Arabs. And everybody was animated talking, of course talking about mm -hmm. what was going on, mm -hmm. but everybody was listening, everybody was talking about, it. everybody respected each other. Why was that able to go on is because every single person at that table was an artist, knew the other people, at the, knew of them mm -hmm. if they mm -hmm. didn't know mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. at that table and respected their humanity, mm -hmm. their families. Their, that didn't mean around that table they solved the problems in the Middle East. If that was true, in we 1973, wouldn't we wouldn't be where mm -hmm. we are. But it means if we can find a transcendent purpose mm -hmm. and if I can see your humanity, not mm -hmm. your sameness, but, I you, agree. but your humanity, mm -hmm. and to be able to do that, I need to be able to see, and at least for me, I can't do that through the vocabulary that comes in on the evening news or mm -hmm. even the morning news or even the news on mm -hmm. the internet. For me, mm -hmm. in order to get that different vision, I need to go back through art or mm -hmm. at least a very mm -hmm. different vocabulary mm -hmm. that lets me then join with people, see other things, see possibilities that mm -hmm. others 
continue to miss. And that's the piece I'm calling rewiring our brain, that my default may be, I see you as other. I think what's possible is I see a future where we can bridge those differences. We have to. To survive on this planet, we have to stop seeing different countries as other and trying to control them to get them to follow our agenda and they're trying to control us and and we we don't have enough resources to continue that dissonance we have to find paths like you are doing with art i think is brilliant what are the ways we can invite one another to see the commonality and the beauty in each one's uniqueness again Art is one of the things that really helps us. Art holds the power to be able to let us know ourselves. Mm -hmm. If I profoundly know who I am, mm -hmm. the fact that you're different doesn't scare me. Mm -hmm. okay. and, yes, I, and, I understand, and, and, and I agree. And, and it's interesting, there's research that okay. supports that. There was a study done years ago here in Canada that looked at Anglophone, English-speaking Protestants, French-speaking Catholics, English-speaking Jews, French-speaking mm -hmm. Jews. And then they looked in all those combinations about both what did you feel about the other, positive, mm -hmm, negative, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at behavior. Did you choicefully spend any time mm -hmm. meeting with them, getting together, whatever, working with them? To their surprise, the people who were most profoundly religious were more positive towards the other. Because if I'm very, very Catholic, I know I'm Catholic, and the fact that you're Jewish doesn't, doesn't hurt me. It, I, I don't doesn't feel like it's, from it, my... it, it's not going to rub off on me and change me because I know who I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, if I'm Protestant, I'm not afraid very... It, it has a deep meaning to me. Where mm -hmm. we get in trouble, I think, is where we try and pretend, which psychologically we do, that we're all the same or we're completely different. We run into one of those two poles. Mm -hmm. Neither of those are true. I mean, at, at there's a certain level of humanity that we're right, all the same. Right. We all have skin that, and we all have arms and legs. Right. And, and there's a certain levels that are different. And, of course, they're outliers who are very negative, but that's not the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And again, art helps us by being a mirror to let us see who we are and therefore allow us to bridge in our teams at work, to bridge in our communities, to bridge in our families. I think that's a beautiful summary. So I'll invite our listeners to think about what for you is that bridge between yourself and people who are unique and special and gifted and talented that they don't need to look like you and they shouldn't look like you? How do we create ways to connect with them and leverage that to solve the problems we face? Nancy, thank you so much. It's been just a pleasure to get to hang out with you for a bit of time. Thank you.
thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Maureen had with one of our ILA thought leaders. And we look forward to having you join us throughout this 15 podcast series on leadership during these turbulent times. Thank you for joining us at the International Leadership Association Conference Interview Series, recorded live in Ottawa, Canada. We love to hear your feedback. And part of the feedback that really inspires us is letting us know how these interviews have impacted you personally and your organization. Please reach out to me at info at innovateleader.com or on LinkedIn, connect with me as Maureen Metcalf. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.